This is the 10,000 Depositions Later podcast, episode 49. I'm Jim Garrity. Before we get into today's topic, in case you are new to the show, I'm the author of the best-selling practice guide in the country on deposition strategies and tactics. The name of the book is 10,000 Depositions Later, the premier litigation guide for superior deposition practice. It's available just about everywhere and is now in its third edition at 450 pages. As for me, I've been practicing for about 35 years on both the plaintiff's side and on the defense. I've now taken more than 20,000 depositions and I've appeared as lead counsel in right around 1,100 federal cases and a like number of state cases. But we've not changed the title of the book because according to my wonderful publisher, it's an established franchise and they just don't want to change the title at this point. So there you have it, that's my background. The purpose of this podcast is very simple and that's to provide active litigators with immediately actionable deposition strategies, tips, and tactics, whether you're on the plaintiff's side or on the defense. Virtually every episode is accompanied in the show notes by full citations to the cases that support the information that we shared in the podcast. And virtually every citation also contains a parenthetical that will allow you to quickly understand which case supports which principle. Some of our episodes are about brand new deposition-related court decisions around the country, state or federal. So we report those as they come out, of course, when we believe that the decision will inform as to a particular deposition topic. Now, today's podcast is based on an inquiry from a listener who asked us the following based on a particular scenario. So the lawyer writes and says, I'm defending clients in depositions, and the opposing lawyer asked my client if they have someone's phone number or copies of a document or text messages. And my client says yes. And the lawyer then says, well, where is it? And my client says, it's on my phone, in my pocket, or in my car. Or if it's a Zoom deposition, in my file cabinet right behind me. Then the lawyer says, well, pull out your phone or grab the file and tell me the number or forward me the document. In other words, the lawyer demands immediate production. What do I do? All right, so great question. And more than ever, our clients have relevant material in their possession at the time of the deposition. Virtually everyone gets texts or emails that relate in some way to the case, or they communicate through social media, which of course is in an app on their phone, or they keep stuff in their car. If it's a remote video deposition and your clients at home, of course, the mother load of information is now available to them at their fingertips. So here's my take on it. And after that, I'll give you some practical tips. I don't care if a client has potentially relevant information on them or at their fingertips, a verbal request for the production of documents, tangible things, or electronically stored information is not properly made in the middle of a deposition. That's point one. Lawyers can make requests for production under federal or state rules, of course. That's how you request evidence. Depositions are for asking questions, sometimes for limited physical demonstrations, sometimes maybe for drawing a map in the context of a pending question or marking on an existing exhibit, but they're not for the production of evidence. I've cited some cases in the show notes that describe this kind of request during a deposition as informal discovery that's not proper. In fact, there's one case in the show notes, a Wisconsin federal case from 2007, that specifically says an informal request for production of documents made at a deposition is not an appropriate discovery request under the rules. And other cases we've cited in the show notes also say that because it's not an appropriate discovery request, a verbal demand for the production of evidence in the middle of a deposition, 
that a court cannot grant relief on it. A court can grant relief on properly made requests authorized by the rules, period. Now, what if a lawyer, an examining lawyer, who's noticed the deposition wants to have evidence to ask your client about in deposition? Well, they need to serve a request for production and bring those documents with them. That's one way. Another way, notice the deposition, deuces tecum. This obligates your client or a non-party witness to produce evidence at the deposition as part of the examination. Deuces tecum, literally, you shall bring with. That's how you arrange for the production of evidence that will allow you to question a deponent about evidence. You don't just look at the witness and say, give it to me. The fact that a witness, the deponent, has evidence or potential evidence in their possession as they're testifying matters not in the context of Rule 30 under the Federal Rules on Depositions, Rule 34 on Producing Documents, or Rule 45 on Subpoenas. So you need not produce anything, even if by sheer coincidence, your client has it in their possession. That's not how the rules work relating to depositions. You may run into a very aggressive trial lawyer from time to time who makes a very aggressive demand and your client is wondering what in the world to do. Well, the answer is very easy. And remember that the rules give you 30 days to respond to a request for production for a reason. And that's 30 days no matter what the opposing lawyer is asking for. It's not shortened if all you have is a cocktail napkin, for example, with a phone number on it. It's not 10 days then just because you can produce it very easily. It's still 30. And the reason is that regardless of what your client may have, you're going to need time to reflect to first determine if it's within the scope of the request. Second, is it privileged? Third, should it be withheld on the basis of some other legitimate objection? Or should you just produce it? These are not decisions that should be made on the fly at any time. And you shouldn't feel guilty just because your client could easily pull out his or her phone out of their pocket and answer the question or run out to their car or turn around if they're at home and grab it out of a file cabinet. That's a Rule 34 issue, the federal rule for requests for production or whatever your state analog is. These days, with many depositions being taken of witnesses who are in fact at home, if the rule was otherwise, those witnesses would be obligated to conduct mid-deposition searches of their home and belonging for responsive documents. It's disruptive. They might wind up producing privileged information. They might wind up producing information that exposes them to civil or criminal liability, maybe a counterclaim. You just don't know what off-the-cuff productions could lead to, no matter how simple the information. And once they're produced, there's no way to get that back, no way to undo it. All right, so some practice tips on how to address this. First, your client should never attend a deposition with relevant evidence that you don't know about. Ask your client as part of the prep effort, and if necessary, again, on the morning of the deposition, is there anything in your possession, on your phone, in your car, in your pockets, in your briefcase or purse or folders, pertinent to this case that you haven't turned over yet? And run through the litany, emails to or from, text messages, social media postings, photographs, very common these days on cell phones, audio recordings, also very common, video, again, very common. So just ask, that's your first line of protection. Ask your client, especially again, the morning of deposition, if you feel it's appropriate, is there anything you have with you that relates to this case that hasn't been turned over and that you haven't disclosed to me yet? So this problem of the mid-deposition kind of gotcha verbal production request is usually easily avoidable if you simply ask your client what they have the morning of the deposition. 
When I first started practicing, I had female clients that would have pertinent evidence in their purse, sometimes that they hadn't told me about. Male clients with briefcases or folders that they would have under their arms when they walk in. I asked them, what is that? What do you have on you? Second, make clear to your clients during your deposition prep that they are not to produce anything during the course of the deposition without discussing it with you first. Many clients don't know, unless you've explained it to them, that depositions are not ad hoc show and tell sessions. Third, if it's something that arguably should have been produced or could in theory become relevant, ask for a break. While you're on the record, announce that you need to discuss the information in the client's possession with the client to determine if it's within the scope of a properly served request, if it's otherwise subject to objection, if it's privileged. Now, if it's within the scope of a previously served request or if the opposing party could easily serve a request for it and possibly make a legitimate argument for a second deposition to ask about the evidence, well, maybe then you want to take some time to think about whether you want to go ahead and have your client produce it on the spot. There are obviously some circumstances, although in my view they're probably limited, where it makes sense to go ahead and let the client retrieve the information during a break in the deposition and reveal it. That's just purely situational. You'll have to make that decision on the fly. But don't feel pressured to release the information if you're uncomfortable or unsure in any way and you believe you need more time to evaluate it. The case law clearly supports you. Remember too that no matter how much you may be willing to cooperate or feel like maybe you should, once you reveal that information, the horse is out of the barn. There's no way to get it back. And it's clearly a voluntary considered and deliberate disclosure. So problematic if it turns out that you shouldn't have revealed it. Your client may also be asked to forward emails or photographs or digital files, audio or video, to the opposing lawyer or to the court reporter's office for printing once they reveal or display the information. So it may not just stop with a verbal request that the client read off a phone number or a text message. The next step is likely to be, if the lawyers, the examining lawyers being particularly aggressive, is send me a screenshot. Send it to the court reporter's email address so we can print it out right now. So think about that as well. If your client has a text message, he or she may be immediately asked to produce a screenshot or to forward it for printing. Don't assume that your client's just going to be able to read out that information and have it there. And maybe that one text message is part of an ongoing dialogue, a string of text messages back and forth. So there's no telling where that could lead on the fly. If the opposing lawyer continues to demand production even over objection and threatens to call the judge or arbitrator, whatever, fine. That's what judges and arbitrators are for. Now it becomes a little stickier if the evidence in question should have been produced and wasn't. And that's something you also have to evaluate on the break. If that's the situation you find yourself in, the odds are good, of course, that a judge or arbitrator may order you back to a second deposition on your tab. But if it's not within the scope, don't be shy about standing your ground if you feel that instant production isn't the right thing to do. Again, that's what judges are for. And use the cases in our show notes for this episode that I've provided you to make your case if you've got to argue this at a court hearing scheduled in the middle of the deposition. Verbal requests for production are not permitted by Rule 34 or Rule 45. Even if the information in question seems completely innocuous, you have the absolute right to take up to 30 days to consider whether to produce it. But you waive all of that if you make a split decision to turn it over. All right, one last point and then we'll be done. 
Sometimes as litigators, we provide documents to our client or to a non-party witness for them to take a look at in the process of preparing them for deposition. Maybe your selection of documents is privileged. Maybe you've provided internal materials, your notes to a client that is clearly protected by attorney-client privilege. Maybe the cluster of documents is also protected by the work product privilege. Or maybe they're just documents that the opposing side sent you, their production, their interrogatory answers. In some cases, documents provided to a deponent are in fact protected by privilege. Sometimes they aren't. Whether the collection of materials you provided to the witness must be revealed to the opposing lawyer or not depends on what you provided and for what purpose. The general rule is that materials you provide don't need to be turned over. So if your client or the deponent is asked whether you sent them documents prior to the deposition, it's not an automatic that the other lawyer gets them. On the other hand, if the witness reviewed the documents specifically for the purpose of refreshing his or her recollection in order to testify at the deposition, the odds rise sharply that you're going to have to produce them. And you know that because you listened very carefully to episode six of this podcast, which is how to proactively use Federal Rule of Evidence 612 and its state equivalents to obtain documents used by an opponent to refresh their recollection. So that's a recognized exception to the general rule that the opposing side is not entitled to see what you sent your client. But as I pointed out in episode six, even under those circumstances, the examining lawyer has to ask the technically correct question in order to lay the foundation to get those documents. And the correct way to ask is, did you review any documents prior to your deposition for the purpose of refreshing your recollection in order to testify? If it's, well, what did you look at? Probably not enough to trigger entitlement to demand production. So the question has to be asked the right way and there are plenty of cases on point. All of this is to say, be very wary of aggressive demands for your client or deponents to immediately turn over evidence in the middle of a deposition just because the deponent happens to have immediate access to the evidence. Real thought has to go into what to do in that situation, and it's always better to err on the side of caution than on the side of speed. All right, that's it for today. As always, thank you so much for listening, and as you frequently hear me mention, our publishing, production, and research staff all frequently comment about the difference it makes to them when they see you leaving five-star reviews. It's a free, fast, and very easy way to say thank you. Have a great day.